0: Hello, and welcome to the fourth and final in our podcast series. My name is Andrew Birmingham and I'm the editor of which50.com. We are running our podcast series in conjunction with Admir as part of their Brightest Minds program. Today, we're looking at the issue of design-led thinking, which has had something of a resurgence in recent years. It grew out of the architecture industry, but more recently has been applied to areas such as product development, customer experience, and marketing. We started today's podcast by asking Jody Sangster, the CEO of ADMA, to explain why it's important for marketers to be across this discipline.
1: Customer experience is often seen as a technical approach to making sure that interfaces uh, and, and the ways that customers engage with companies are easy, simple and the customer can get what they need. But what it does require in order to make make sure that's successful is empathy with the customer. So understanding what the customer is wanting and responding to it. So there are two sides to this equation. A marketer is in a unique position. They are the person that has the research and understanding of the customer, kind of from the front end. So that that kind of one-to-one interaction with the customer, seeing what the customer is wanting, and that should feed into the design process. The second thing is that a cust- uh, that a marketer should have or should be the feedback loop. So where things are not working, the marketing team should be picking that up and seeing why it's not working and making sure that that again is kind of fed into the into the process. And the third area that I think would be really helpful uh, to be pushed into the design side of things is customer service. Because that's the pointy end where the customer hasn't got what they have wanted, they haven't got what they've needed, they've decided to take a step to, to try and resolve that. And taking that really valuable information and feeding that back in can lead to some really good changes in design which have a great impact on customer experience.
0: so welcome to the latest episode of 50 audio digital today in the studio i have michael buckley who's the managing director of accenture interactive and uh, Judge gotter who's the managing director of thinking group and we're talking about design thinking we live in an era basically where customers take the uh, the best experience uh, in any context and they apply it to every context and it's a really unfair benchmark for us to all be assessed against but that's the world that we live in one of the things that's emerged in recent years is this idea of design thinking, which actually began in the late 60s out of the uh, the architecture sector, but which has come back uh, into fashion recently. And I really want to go into some detail with the, with a couple of people who are expert in this area. Uh, Michael, I might get you to start just by talking a little bit about uh, Accenture's engagement or involvement with design thinking, and then uh, Joe, I'll get you to do the same.
2: Yeah, good morning. So design thinking for us is the um, – it, where it's come out of is the – Digitization of most products and services and also the fact that our customers and consumers um, have complete liquid expectations of the fact that we now need to be design-led and have the best customer experience and it's that best customer experience is the brand that we choose and uh, for Accenture's traditional you know systems integrator experience and being the plumbers for most of the largest brands in Australia, it was the fact that we now needed to be far more focused on customer experience and being design-led. And, and with that expectation, um, we now have that exact design-thinking-led methodology.
0: And Joe, you've got a sort of slightly different angle. Yeah. So the, the thinking group actually is
3: comprised of a, three different companies. One of them is Thinking Ventures, which is designed for very early stage startups. Uh, we've got Thinking studio which is designed for that implementation piece but normally it's the pointy end of experience design and technology like R&D and then we've got thinking school which is designed for training people around the leadership and delivery of innovation within organizations so it's about being self sustaining when you're thinking in the context of design thinking it would be how do we self sustain with a customer centric experience inside our organization we don't necessarily need to have external support to do that.
0: I think there's still a lot of a lot of misunderstanding around design thinking, but I'd just like to start with a really simple explanation of what we actually mean when we say design thinking.
3: Sure, so design thinking is a process, it's actually a framework that you use for coming up with solutions. Design thinking, while originally it was applied to architecture, it could be applied to anything. Uh, I think one of the key tenets of it, which is why it's probably coming back to the fore now, is it's led through this concept of empathy, right? Where you've got an an explicit, deliberate approach to how you connect with your customer and then design products around their experience, right? So as opposed to your traditional model where you might think of an idea and then go go do it, and then unleash it to the world and think people are gonna like it, this is a completely different approach, which is looking at people's experiences first, and then actually building prototypes that they can interact with and play with, and, and then you've got this kind of feedback loop. It's iterative mm-hmm. as opposed to this kind of waterfall approach that we had maybe in product design back in you know last
0: century. You mentioned that it emerged out of, of architecture, I guess, in the late 60s. Like one of the things that interests me is, why has it come back into fashion now? Why is it important again now?
2: And the beauty of design thinking, as you know, Joe was saying, is that if you take that iterative process, and you think about the customer journey and what are the pain points within that journey, you used to think of that oh, there's such a pain point there that I need to re-architect all of the technology behind that. And this process allows you to actually identify what are the key components within that and then hone in with focus to actually reimagine that particular part of the process. And what we find is whether it's an employee experience, whether it's actually the technology experience, being able to reimagine that part of the process can increase the MPS to where you need it to be without actually boiling the whole ocean. And a lot of clients, you know, and and it and it does come off like sort of the greatest example is the fact that Steve Jobs had such a focus on design. Right? He didn't want tech he didn't want it to be technology led. He wanted it to be design led and let the technology enable that design thinking. He he brought, you know, industrial designers and visual designers and interaction designers together to think about what is the best experience. For the end customer. And because of that expectation that customers have, it's enabled design to be the lead now, not the technology be the lead. And when you get this right, it's far more cost effective to a customer to actually lead with design because it's a lot more effective upfront to do that as opposed to last, where you've gone and built the technology and then you think about design at the end, actually putting it at the start. The client sees the design, the prototype, the end state, if you like, far quicker and earlier in the life cycle of building the technology. And so they sort of flipped it on its head and said, why wouldn't we do that if those benefits are, are going to come out for us
3: as well as the customer? There's two approaches, right? And I'll, I'll talk about doing it in the context of solving a particular problem uh, as opposed to teaching the principles, right? So uh, we did a session with um, Uber the other week. I can't talk about exactly what we were doing, but I certainly can go through the process that we followed. So they didn't even realize they were actually doing design thinking because they didn't have to. The theory wasn't important. What was important was that we got absolutely focused on the customer. And the way that we did that, first of all, we designed a challenge statement. So we were really articulate about the problem that we we're trying to solve, right? Once we were very clear about what success around that solution looked like, then we put together, oh, I suppose, the first step of it was building a persona, right? Deeply Empathizing with our audience, right? Do we really understand this person, and what data points can we find that that represent that, and how can we build it? Uh, one of the things about persona development was about this idea of curation. So it's not something you do once; it's something you're constantly doing. And yeah, we'll do a slice of that now. I'll show you how, but then always keep working on this. Uh, the next step was building this idea of uh, it's a it's a it's just a thinking tool that we use called Current Reality Vision Bridge. So we start with recognizing what the current reality is. Where are we today? What's the problem look like today? Let's be very brutal and honest about how things sit. Then we focus on spending some time visioning. What's the perfect world look like? How could that, you know, and that's where we, um, we take a, a slice of the problem and we focus on experience mapping. We're actually building three sets of experience maps. We're going our current reality, And then we're doing our visioning, so we're building two experience maps, one of what things are like today, one of where we want to be, but then right in the middle of that, we build bridges. How do we get from this point to that point? And what are some clever ways to do that? That's how we move into our ideation. All I do is lay down a few ground rules around, okay, what's effective ideation look like? We're going to go divergent, first of all, right? That's a word you hear a lot when you talk about design thinking, they talk about divergent thinking, and what that is is... Looking for lots of different variety, lots of different ideas. And what we, the most important rule is that we don't critique ideas that come out. We build, we progress, we move on, but we don't critique. So as soon as you start critiquing, it's like put the handbrake on. You don't want to do that. You want to put the accelerator down and, and come out with lots and lots of variety. So we bring a whole pile of these different ideas and we look at clever ways of, say, voting on them, uh, assessing them together collaboratively so that we, filter those ideas down. But the result, the net result, absolutely customer centric, absolutely customer focused from the beginning where we're building the archetype and really trying to understand that persona all the way through to the end when we're looking at how we drive behavior change and what are the constraints around
0: people adopting new, you know, new approaches or new, you know, new ideas. So when you're looking at that sort of current state to the perfect world, when people are conceiving of the perfect world, should they be thinking of it in terms of there are no limitations on me. There's no budget limitation. There's no physical limitation. I just want to define what the absolute best outcome is, and I'll design around that idea. Then I'll, I'll basically chip it back as the as the limitations become clear.
3: Absolutely, I think as soon as you start putting constraints on, then you, in a, in a way, you you artificially constraining your thinking and your ideas, right? Uh, which is why we don't want to we don't want to critique it like you say. Oh, why don't we do this? And I go, Well, no, there's no budget for that. Then we've put the handbrake on and we've stopped. If instead. You, It's like, why don't we do this? I'm like, yeah, how about we try this and, right? What about this and, what about this plus? And we keep building and building and we come out with some great ideas. After that, we might find, you know what? We are trying to build a bridge here but we're seeing that there's a massive budget constraint with this particular solution. It's a great solution, but there's a budget constraint with it. The The key there is, let's go and do another ideation session around how can we reduce the budget? How can we well, reduce the constraints, right? So. Um, constraints are one of the best things you can have, right? Because it's like necessity is the mother of invention. Once you've got a good constraint and you've recognised what constraints are, then you can start thinking of creative ways of working around them. You just do the same thing, the same ideation approach, but now you've got a much smaller problem to work with. So yeah, simple answer: keep going, go big. Yeah. Fantastic, Michael. Sort to focus on the, you know,
2: like if you think of it, us as consumers, and you know, if you, um, let's say you you've bought a broadband provider. And, um, you know, you're very excited about, you know, getting broadband because, you know, like the family's going to be happy. But you realize halfway through the process that you've bought it, but you've got to take this day off work um, to get it implemented. And you, you've been really excited. The NPS is really high for that particular brand. And the day off work is a nightmare for you. A, because you've got to spend a holiday day taking the day off work. And B, you don't really have the confidence that the technician's going to rock up. And and so it actually ends up being a complete negative for the brand and also the process that you go through. And what we've seen um, is that maybe it could be the third time that the actual technician rocks up, and that's three days you've taken off. And by the end of that, you're completely dead to the brand, and you, you never wish you actually signed up. And so, in, in that regard, right, how do you fix that process? How do you how do you make that MPS as equal to the buying process at the beginning? And what we what we do is we sort of take a an approach which is we go out and do ethnographic research with the technicians, right? And understand what is it about your day that you don't know about this end customer? Why isn't it that you can't get in touch with them and telling them you're late? And for the customer in reverse, it's like, what is it about you taking off the day that like do you need to take off the whole day? What if we could show you a way that you can see the technician in the similar way you're talking about Uber? Why can't you see the technician, oh, he's half an hour away, I only need to leave work now, let them open the door and let them in. Therefore, it's win-win. But the process today was um, within this particular client was let's boil the ocean. They thought they needed to get rid of five and a half thousand technicians and restart the whole thing. And the COO was completely over it and it's like, we just need to rebuild this from scratch. And ironically, the technicians are amazing, they're the best in the world at what they do. But they just didn't have the data points to allow them to do their job better. And the customer didn't have their data points to actually get in communication with, you know, the technician. And once you provide an application that connects you and you have the data points and you can improve that customer experience, suddenly that whole pain point of that nightmare day goes away. And that's where design thinking comes in, right? Is that you do an as is state and you across the whole spectrum. And then you see this major pain point. What is it about this day that they have to take off? Um, And slightly differently, we do put absolute value on what what is it about. If we enable that process to happen, what we saw was that a truck or a technician could do an extra job a day. That extra job across five and a half thousand technicians paid for the whole process. Yes, you've got this big idea, but you're also looking for the value and the the economics behind actually paying for the idea that you're coming up with. And then it becomes far more profitable, your MPS goes up and the customer's happy. And it was all about a 12-week design-led thinking engagement that actually solved that process. We had to pay for the two technicians to have 12 weeks off to be with us. And that was probably the most vital part of the process, is to have them live and breathe with us the actual process and understand every nuance, like what tools do they use, how do we improve this process? Mm -hmm. Um, And the same thing for the customer or the client allowing us to go and interview the customers. That's a very difficult thing because they're they're acknowledging then that there is a problem and they want to share that with their customers. Mm -hmm. Um, At that point in time, if you've got a client that understands, you need the client to understand what design thinking is and the benefits that it has, then you're away. What we find is when it's a negative, it's not necessarily the right part of the organization that is going to enable this to be successful. And hence why this process of design thinking typically now comes from the C-suite. It's the CEO that goes, I now need to fix this part of the process and design thinking is going to do that. Now which part of the organization then owns that? That's, That's really interesting because is it the marketer? Is it the owner of the product or is it the CIO? And it's actually the combination of all three that gets the that gets the biggest outcomes.
0: In terms of these processes, in terms of actually delivering the best customer outcome, what gets in the way? What are the impediments, and how do you clear those away? I suppose driving the agenda
3: from the C suite absolutely essential. But then we've got a follow-on challenge, which is what are the behaviours that we need to exhibit as leaders to facilitate success around adoption of these concepts like design thinking, right? So we want to drive innovation in the organization, right? And we want it to be customer-centric innovation. Is it enough just to t- say, hey guys, today you're learning design thinking and that's what you're doing, right? Or is there more? And I think invariably the answer is actually there's a whole pile more. There's, you know, giving people autonomy, uh, trust, and in turn responsibility, and that that dissemination of control can be very scary for some very top heavy organizations right so that's where you'll find that there's a there is a very
0: big behavior change piece from leadership down so the culture piece is really really important kind of mm-hmm. if this is about actually changing the way you as an organization behave going forward as opposed to just building a product and solving an idea or a single thing. It's actually about sort of changing the way the nature of how the company it works. It's pick where you want to play,
3: yeah. right? So either you, you go and you do it as an organization, you live it and breathe it, or you go and get partners to help you when it's time to solve a problem. And and that's where you'd see, you know what, if you're not design thinking-led, then you're going to need to have someone come in, hold your hand, bring you, th- and walk you through a solving a particular problem. But what you'll find is there's lots of problems to solve eventually you're going to find diminishing returns and constantly going out and doing it. And eventually, you know what, actually it would make sense to just be customer-focused as an organisation, right?
2: You go back to that example I was using, the 5,500 technicians. The only way to implement that application that makes their lives better is to have a massive change management program in place. And change management is a huge component of the outcomes of this, both during the phase, because in order to change or rethink a service or product, Because that product basically affects every part of the organisation, from HR to finance to to senior management to marketing, you need all of the parts of the organisation involved in the process. And that's why the C-suite getting involvement at the start, going, this is something that we need to do as an organisation, is why it can't be owned
0: by one particular part of the organisation. I'm just wondering just to to wrap up, if you think of your own experiences and those of can you think of examples of where you've looked at an outcome, a client outcome, or even just maybe, maybe as a consumer, where you thought these guys have really thought this through? This is great. Spotify for me is
2: like I ask a question a lot um, to any new employee: what is what is your favourite brand? And fifty percent of the people that answer that question say Apple. And then I say, but what is the um, what is your what is therefore your relationship digitally? with Apple? And not not the fact that you're using an iPhone or a Mac. How do they actually speak to you as an individual? And one of the issues that Apple has is they don't talk to you as an individual. They talk to you one to all. So they actually have a very big digital personalization issue. But the reverse is Spotify. Spotify probably has the most personalized digital relationship you could ever have. You get a daily mix sent to you. Based on what you listened to the day before. There's no algorithm for any brand that does it to that level currently. And so that's I, I find, you know, the artificial intelligence behind Spotify, the way that they personalize is something that I think the eleven dollars that I spend a month on that, you know, that piece of software, that application, is easily the best eleven dollars I spend because I see the value in it.
3: It's pretty awesome. Like, have you, I don't know if you've ever seen, there was actually an article written on how they designed the deep learning behind that particular technology. It's incredible, really, truly incredible. But, um, where we're going next, uh, is very exciting. So, yeah, as far as existing products and platforms, like there's so many, it's hard to choose, right? But uh, I think the interesting place
0: is is where we're going next. And do you think the final question just to wrap us up, do you think most of the companies that you work with now have Got that message, or we're we still very early days. We're still basically doing things in fairly kind of traditional ways. I don't think it's
3: so much that they haven't got the message. I think it's about constrained thinking, right? Mm-hmm. So, and it's not a bad constrained thinking. Like they've got their blinders on. They actually see it, right? People see it, but they they feel intimidated by it. You know, it's that. It's like, well, you know, Apple do this great job, but you know, I'd love to kind of get close, but you know, realistically. And it's like, well, wait a minute. What is really like? You've got a leg up already. There's there's platforms out there that let you build material design interfaces like really super quick. There's a whole bunch of these. It's just about knowing the tools that you've got available to you to be able to come up with prototypes that customers can engage with. And then it's it's the behaviours, right? Like, well, what's stopping you from bringing a customer in tomorrow? We you know we 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 did that actually. We did that recently with um. It's steadfast, you know, insurance breaking. They, they, they had that same kind of thinking, right? Like, oh, look, you know, we'd love to do it. But, but after going through the process with them and it's like making it feel achievable, they're able to get incredible results, right? And it's just, it really comes down to that feeling like you can actually do it bit, which is what stops people from actually doing it.
2: I, I see the board of every major brand in Australia. They get it. They want it. They know this is going to help them solve problems. It's how are their teams underneath them structured. And if they're structured in the right way to enable this to happen, they get the most success. If they're not, that's where we start and help them restructure to actually enable this process to work. Fantastic. Well, Michael, Joe,
0: thanks very much for coming in today and sharing your thoughts with us. Thanks for having me. And that's all we have time for today. And in fact, that brings us to the end of our first podcast series. We are already planning series two, and we will be back in a few months talking about some of the issues that are affecting the market today. Thank you very much for your support. My name is Andrew Birmingham, and I am the editor of witch50.com.